episode 78 of the pilot the pilot podcast takes off now AV Nation, today's episode is brought to you by the Mentor Aviation app. Mentor Aviation is a social media platform where aviation enthusiasts can get into contact with professional pilots in a positive and constructive manner. One of my favorite ways to use the Mentor Aviation app is the breaking news. It sends you news on aviation, whether it's plane incidences or airline news. Thomas Cook went out of business and the first time I found out but that was through Mentor Aviation. So go ahead and check out Mentor Aviation app on Google Play Store and Apple App store today. It's free to download. Hi, everyone. My name is Andrew Burnham. I'm a ramp controller at Washington Dulles International Airport. What is going on, AV Nation? And welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I'm your host. Thank you guys for bearing with me. This episode's coming out a little bit later than normal. I just got back yesterday from an eight-day tour, and I am exhausted. Eight days of flying can really kind of drag on you and uh, take a lot out of you. So I am putting in the work now. I'm getting this episode out. So I thank you for bearing with me and being patient. I also want to say thank you for listening to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. Every single week, we continue to get more and more listeners and downloads and subscribers on Instagram or the podcast or whatever it is. So I just want to say thank you. I'm currently working on some new designs for t-shirts and some swag and some cool hats. So if you're interested in that, let me know. It's going to be some pretty cool stuff and stuff I'm really proud about. So I'm looking forward to that. But today is about Andrew Burnham. Andrew is a Washington Dulles ramp controller. He has been in aircraft dispatcher for Delta private jets. He also has a private pilot license. So he's kind of done a lot in aviation, has a lot of good advice for people coming into this career to look at it on the other side of things, how you can go into ATC, how you can be a ramp control and the difference between the two. One thing that I didn't know is that ramp control is completely separate from FAA control. So it's really interesting to talk about and learn more about aviation in the industry. If you like today's episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our website, www.pilot pilothq.com where you can find all the links to find out more information about pilot the pilot our instagram's on there facebook's on there twitter and you can also check out our patreon page haven nation i don't want to keep any longer thank you for listening without any further ado here's andrew burnham andrew what's going on man welcome to the pilot the pilot podcast Justin, how's it going, man? Really appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, no problem. It's going really well. Uh, getting ready to go back to work. So you're the last interview of my off cycle. So uh, I got to end it with a bang. Oh, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully I can uh, be up to the test for it. <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. So first question I ask everyone is the same question. It is why aviation? What was your original inspiration to get into this industry? So uh, my original inspiration to get into this industry, um, I was lucky I had uh, some friends that were into Flight Simulator back in uh, early 2000s. That kind of got me hooked off. And then my neighbor um, is a FedEx pilot. He uh, used to be an FO on an Airbus A300. And now he's, uh, I believe, a captain on a 757. And he kind of piqued my interest. He says, you know, you can go up to the airport and take a discovery flight. And I had no idea that that was something that you could do. I thought, you know, you had to fully commit to flying before, you know, you could, you know, even do something like that. He's like, oh, yeah, it's like a hundred bucks. You can just go up to the airport and take like a little intro flight. And ever since that, uh, I've just been hooked, man. So how old were you when you did the intro flight? Uh, so I was 14. Okay. So um, when I started that and uh, it was pretty crazy, the... Uh, 
Goodyear blimp before they got their Zeppelins. Uh, it was out and about, so I got to see that <laughs> while I was flying was around cool. my house. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. That was before, you know, the nice iPhones, you know, you taking a picture on your <laughs> old school <laughs> cell phone. Oh my gosh, uh, flip phones? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I found my but, old flip phone and I don't even remember how like text. It was like when right when texting was starting to kick off and like texting was a hot mess with the T9. You had to click so oh, many letters man. and Dude, just T9 didn't... hitting the numbers yeah. <laughs> like three or four times to get like to a certain letter. Yeah, that's that's exactly when it started. That's crazy. Man. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty wild. And then uh, so back to your story. Enough about technology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you took that first flight. What was that first flight like? You said you took that flight when you're 14. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And like when, when I told the flight instructor, this was before flight sim was kind of like regarded as like a good thing in the industry. Like, you know, we there were simulators back then, but like people didn't really they kind of looked at flight sim as like, oh, this guy. Great. And <laughs> my instructor uh, at the time there that did the intro flight. Um, he was like, well, you kind of, you should already, you know, know most of the basics. So I'll tell you what, I'll work the pedals and you work the yoke. Oh, and cool. he, you know, he's like, as soon as we hit 60 knots, just pull back and, you know, just the euphoria of that first flight in a small airplane. It's, it's just unremarkable. Yeah. I've mentioned before in quite a bit of podcasts that if you think you want to be a pilot or if you think you want to get into this track, it's very important to do an intro flight. Now, depending on where you live, there could be a lot of options. And we talked a little bit, you're in Northeast Ohio, so there are some decent airports up there, decent amount of airports. So you probably had a couple yeah. options to choose from. What were you looking in when you were doing an intro flight? Did you just try to find the cheapest flight possible? Did you do your Google research? Did you like look pretty hard in depth into it? Or did you just find an airport, go there and uh, go do the intro flight? You know, at, at the time, I really didn't do a whole lot of research. I was just... Uh, I was I was pretty young and just kind of super excited, and um, my neighbor just you know told me, well, you know, there's the Kent State Airport over in Stowe, Ohio, mm -hmm. and you know it was such a short drive, um, and uh, it looked like a pretty a pretty uh, you know decent uh, FBO and 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 small little mom and pop kind of uh, flight operation. They really only had like two airplanes. Oh wow! So. It wasn't it wasn't really a big flight operation because the big flight operation was the university. So, um, you know, I just went and did that and it worked out great. And the attention to detail after the fact, like when I went there and and did the whole intro flight, you know, they gave me like a small log book. Oh, cool. They had like, you know, obviously like a little 30 minute video on like some basics and just the attention to detail for that first flight and kind of all the little odds and ends. That's what really made it made it special. That's cool. Yeah. It's uh, so they give you this this free log book and this video and hopes that they'll hook you on for ten thousand dollars to get your private pilot license. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So obviously I didn't go with them, uh, but, but that's, that's, you know, what, uh, what was the next step when you were doing your training? So obviously you take this intro flight, you're 14. There's really not much you can do until you're what, 16, 17. So kind of what did you do in the meantime? Did you go there and do some flights still, or did you put it off, just fly sim simulator flights and then go back when you're of age? Or did you do some training before? So that just kind of kicked off and, and basically I was bit by the bug, as they say. Um, but at that time, obviously money was, was, you know, uh, pretty tight, you know, I'm yeah. a young guy, you know, I barely have working age at 14. Right. So, um, 
and my parents, you know, I'm, I'm one of four boys in the family. So, you know, it's not an easy thing to, you know, just go out and drop some money down and get your pilot certificate. So flash forward to the summer before my freshman year at Kent state university. Um, I was lucky enough, uh, to have some family members, uh, make a, a pretty sizable contribution. And, uh, I basically signed up a semester early into college and flew my butt off about six days a week through the summer of uh, 2012 uh, to get my pilot certificate. Yeah. So pretty much six days a week. I think, uh, you know, there were a couple presidential tours. So that obviously hampered down, <laughs> you know, for, for a few days to yeah. a week, you know, with the TFR and stuff like that in Akron and Cleveland. Uh, Kent's kind of right in between. So we kind of got hosed by uh, the presidential TFR. But, um, yeah, it was fantastic. Started in June of 2012 and I finished, uh, November 12th, I believe. Nice. Yeah. um, So so you're flying a lot. You said six days a week, if you could, did you ever have to face any kind of burnout mentality or did you ever have to take some time off to kind of take a break at all? Or were you just powering through to get it done? You know, it's crazy. I really didn't, uh, you know, I was just so excited and, and passionate about aviation. I just, I kept going. Yeah. I mean, there were days where I was tired, but I just, I don't know. I just absorbed it like a sponge and I just wanted to constantly like keep pushing and pushing and pushing. So, and I hustled a lot like that in college in general. So, um, it's just, I don't know. Never really, never really had that kind of burnout. That's good. Uh, yeah. So. What was next for you after your private pilot training? So after my private pilot training, well, let, we'll, we'll step back slightly for a minute. So obviously flying, I was very interested in it. Yeah. And I wanted to potentially be a pilot like my neighbor for FedEx. After I got into college and was you know touring colleges and stuff like that, looking at kind of what the pricing was like, that's when I started shifting gears. Yeah. You know? You go to you go to colleges and they're saying, oh, yeah, tuition is, you know, 40,000 out of state. And oh, by the way, uh, your pilot training is not included. And from <laughs> private to commercial plus CFI is seventy five thousand dollars out of pocket. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. You're like, excuse me, how much? <laughs> exactly. So um, one other option that my parents always kind of wanted me to go into um was was like radio or be like a news anchor or a weather guy uh one because of my voice and two they thought you know that i had kind of the personality and the mentality that i could do something like that well best of both worlds air traffic control hey yo so i saw kent state's program um they have one of the largest air traffic control simulators out of any university in the country oh that's cool um and it's right down the road from where I lived. So it was a win-win. And I was still able to get my pilot certificate on the side. So I could still have the luxury of flying on the side if I wanted to, just for my own personal use. Mm-hmm. But then I also have a job that can pay for it. That was the most important thing. For is sure. Being able to pay for something that I really love and enjoy. How many certificates do you have? Did you stop at your private or did you go get your instrument and your commercial? So I, I don't have my instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I do have is my aircraft dispatcher certificate. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, so that was arguably one of the hardest certificates I've ever achieved. <laughs> I did, that, no I did that junior year of college, and the written exam is very similar to the ATP written. Oh, and wow. A lot of our textbooks were actually the ATP prep book on top of commercial instrument, et cetera. So it's almost like all of the written ratings mashed into one test. Um, Shepard Airman saved my life. I know several, <laughs> I know several people on the podcast have mentioned it, but yes. yeah, Shepard Airman, the, the data bank for that test is 1100 questions. Holy smokes. <laughs> exactly. I think the ATP is maybe 1500 or a slight little bit more than that, but yeah. yeah. So there's 1100 possible questions and there's only 80 of them on the test. So you, you know, you're studying Shepard Air for like two months trying yeah. to prep for this. Just um, to memorize. Yeah. So, but it was fantastic. And, and that dispatcher's certificate basically led me to my first job out of college. Cool. So talk a little bit about getting your dispatcher's certificate. So obviously it's not something I've really talked about before. Um, what's the process? Like you mentioned, you're going to take a, an, a written that's essentially an ATP written. I've heard the, the actual practical exam you have to do is pretty intense too with the flights you have to plan and the stuff you have to prove to the examiner and stuff. So just kind of go into detail about that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's very intense, and only until up until my junior year did I even know something like this existed. You know, I, I think a lot of people know that there's aircraft dispatchers or people behind the scenes that do flight planning. Yeah, but they they don't know where to go to figure out how to do that as a career. And not to plug it, but there's a ton of hiring in that specific facet of the industry, and I highly highly recommend getting that as a backup, whether you're a pilot. Whether you're a controller, you know, God forbid you have something happen to your medical. Yeah. This is a fantastic backup tool and an extra tool in your tool bag. Um, as for getting into it, I was lucky Kent State University just recently uh, kind of got uh, authority from the local FISDO to have this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's basically like a college college course. I did it over the summer. It was like eight weeks, full blown fire hose effect into your face. <laughs> hang on tight. Um, yeah. Hang on tight. Oh yeah. yeah. So um, there's several schools across the country, um, schools that do just that kind of like, um, you know, there's, there's um, like contract AV, uh, air traffic control schools. Like that's all they do is you go there and you get your CTO. Mm-hmm. Same, same thing with aircraft dispatch. Um, I can't name any off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up, but um, basically went through that program uh, with the fire hose effect and you prep for that written exam after you pass that written exam you have basically a five hour mine was about six uh hour oral exam oh, wow. with with the examiner my examiner just so happened to be at the time the director of operations at delta private jets no way <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy. He he soon later became my boss. <laughs> I was say it's a chance for you to make a very good impression or a very bad impression. Exactly. And we had several examiners from other companies like ABX, Southern Air. Um, so these gentlemen that do this, uh, sometimes that's all they do. Sometimes they're already active in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you spend three hours planning a flight for a 737 and you have two nice big binders with you. You got a binder that's full of weather and then you have another binder uh, that's the op specs. And it, within there, there's also uh, the GOM, a general operating manual. 
So you're utilizing both of those planning an RNAV route. I did uh, Cleveland to Boston. Mm-hmm. I did the, I did the winter exercise. So you have to plan the whole thing. And he looks at it almost like he's the FMS. And if there's a mistake or if it's not like perfectly RNAV, you know, routes or, you know, he'll come back and he'll say the computer rejected your flight plan. Please try again. <laughs> um, so it was, it was pretty cool. Um, then th- uh, on top of that, so after the flight plan, uh, just drilled on regulations, uh, all the part part 135 regu- or part 121 regulations, mm-hmm. um, you know, concerning, uh, you know, if, if this happens, you know, what do we do or what's the, what's the crew duty limitations for this scenario? Um, then he starts talking about your flight plan. Hey, you just lost all your anti-icing system. Where are you going to divert to? Um, so it was, it was pretty intense, but, um, it's an incredible, incredible tool. It sounds intense. I feel like now if I was going through that process, I'd be like, all right, uh, yeah, so I planned this. Here's four flight. Here's my iPad. This is where we're going. And, uh, yeah. So any questions? All right, we're done. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good day. Oh, to, to mention, yeah. Speaking of, you know, four flight and stuff like that, it, you, they pretty much give you the low and route chart and you're using highlighters and pencils and drawing <laughs> the whole route. I'd be like, dude, no one does this anymore. <laughs> Where's my computer software? <laughs> exactly. That's really funny. Yeah. How long ago did you do this? Uh, so this was uh, 2016. Okay. Uh, is when I got this certificate. Um, and uh, only worked for a short time at, at uh, Delta Private Jets. I had um, kind of like a mock interview my senior year. And they said, oh, well, do you want to interview with someone in air traffic? Or do you want to interview with someone as a dispatcher? And at, at the time before, you know, they, well, they already had it changed. They used to do interviews for ATC in that whole hiring process, you know, the government hiring process. You'd interview with a panel of, you know, people from a facility. Well, now they don't, now they don't do that anymore. So interviewing with someone with ATC is, in, in my opinion, was kind of, you know, pointless because ultimately it's usajobs.gov that is accepting, you know, your application or whatever HR is sifting through it. So, well, lo and behold, my, mock interview was with you know the director of operations at delta private jets which i had already spent six hours in a room doing an oral exam <laughs> that's so funny you guys knew each other of, pretty well exactly so he kind of was like well we really don't need to do a mock interview let's do a real interview You're i like, need to oh. hire <laughs> i need to hire two people and i'm like oh my gosh i mean mind you you know i was dressed up if it was like actually going to be a legit interview and uh it was that's he was hilarious like, he was like, when can you come see the operation? And um, when you get an opportunity like that, you just pursue it. You don't hesitate. You just go full force, just like what I do with my flight training. A door opens. Go for it, man. So yeah. I managed to work it out. I you know, drove down, did the interview, did a culture fit interview, and bam, got into the operation at Delta Private Jets, which is pretty big. Yeah, no, big. it is. It's definitely a, a pretty big operation. And it's, uh, so you went down, so you're up in Northeast Ohio. You drove down to, they're based out of Cincinnati. Am I right? Yeah. So they're based out of Cincinnati. Uh, ironically, it's, uh, Erlanger, Kentucky, because the airport is across, across the other side. So it's the Northern Kentucky, <laughs> Cincinnati. Ohio airport. Yeah. Which is just so weird. <laughs> yeah. So huge airport. Uh, uh, I've got a friend that works there and now, you know, you've got Amazon. Is a huge hub there and, and just so many 747 8s and yeah. polar car. Um, so I worked there for about six months before uh, an alumni 
uh, kind of piqued my interest to my current job, uh, working as a ramp tower controller at Dulles. And I got a message and he's like, dude, you got to take a look at this. It's like ground control on steroids. It's, <laughs> it's so much fun. And I knew he was going to, he was wanting to go into the FAA. So he was there at the time. His um, wife worked at Washington Center and they both now work there at Washington Center. Yeah. So he was kind of waiting for his class date. He needed uh, kind of a fix until then. And that's what this fix was, was ramp control. That's one of my questions was. So obviously I didn't know is ramp center or ramp control different from FAA. So is it, do you go through the same certification, same hiring process to, to work ramp as you do say at Washington center or is it a little bit different? So it's completely different, which okay. is both, both good and bad. Yeah. Um, we'll start with the good. Uh, it's completely different in the fact that you do not need a CTO. Okay. You do not have to attend the FAA Academy because we are not FAA or federal. Hmm. Um, and you know, we're not working uh, controlled surfaces. Basically, we're working what's uh, known as the non-movement areas yeah. of the year. So pretty much all the in-between spots between the runways, where the gate areas and the terminals are, that's pretty much all our pavement. Okay. So let's say you, you're you working my flight and I'm in a ramp and I severely mess up. Can you still get me in trouble with the regulations or is it kind of just like a, hey man, don't do that, but uh, next time do this? Um, I mean, it, it depends on the severity. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely can be reported. We've had incidents yeah. uh, before. Uh, obviously, not going to name anything specific, but... <laughs> um, you know, we've had we've had stuff happen where, you know, we have to notify a chief pilot of an airline because okay. somebody somebody decided that it was, you know, not a big deal to just keep going. And it is a big deal. That's funny. Yeah, no, I, I would assume it was. I just didn't know that it wasn't part. Is it so is it it's not part of the FAA at all then for what you guys do? No, our facet uh, of of the airport, we are employed by the airport's authority. OK, so we're basically a kind of like a port authority. We're gotcha. an organization designed to govern the airport. Okay. So you yeah. let's let's go back a little bit before you got this job. You had Delta Private Jets for six months. What um you were obviously doing kind of dispatching and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So we actually had um operational control, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a big thing with dispatching. Um and I was working graveyard shifts, you know, as the newbie. I mm-hmm. I I was the one working the graveyard shift and um you know, three days on, three days off, four days on, four days off. And they were anywhere from 10 to 12 hour shifts. So um, everything from customs, we would do EAPIS, all that stuff, Canadian APIS. Um, we had flights that would go to, you know, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, weather tracking, flight planning, um, you know, fuel planning, all that stuff um, across an entire fleet um, so I was talking to tons and tons of pilots, you know, you got the headset on and everything and you're getting phone calls left and right. Um, so it was, it was a very dynamic and very fast paced job, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you have any like, uh, epic stories from your time as dispatch? Like you had one plane that was just like stuck circling. You had to, had to find an airport for them to land at at all, or was it pretty smooth sailing? 
Uh, no, no, I, I do have a pretty good story in yes. mind. I've got, I've got several, one's not appropriate, <laughs> so we won't talk about that. All right, but, this, sounds good. <laughs> but this, but this one is appropriate. Yeah. So it's almost the end of my shift. Mind you, I work graveyard. So mm-hmm. it's about five in the morning. I get off in about an hour or two and I get a phone call. Um, and it, it almost sounds like, you know, somebody like pulling the phone out, like their cell phone out in an airliner like you can hear like the the noise in the background like the 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 wind rushing and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and it was the flight attendant on one of our flights and i'm like what we had a golf stream that was trying to get into london into the luton airport and uh the visibility was so bad they had to divert so she was calling from the galley phone in the Gulf Stream to let me know that the pilots were diverting. Here's the big issue with that. <laughs> now we have a customs issue because this flight was from the U.S. nonstop over to London Luton, and now they're diverting to a different London airport. <laughs> so all all of the customs, the APIS and stuff, is yeah. now for the wrong airport. Oh no! Not to mention all the car and driver services at the other airport. We don't have anything now at this new airport. So I'm hauling, you know, and it's just me there. You know, customer service is gone. It's five in the morning. They leave, you know, by midnight. So I'm a one man band and <laughs> I'm making phone calls. I'm calling the new airport. I'm trying to get, you know, a basically a replacement to hurry up so that when they land, even though it's a different airport, they have transportation. Um, and luckily it went out off without a hitch customs over there was super nice i guess it happens all the time i mean london's pretty uh pretty rainy and foggy yeah so weather's not the best so but you know the last thing i was thinking of towards the end of the shift was getting a phone call from our cabin attendant in a golf stream that's halfway across the pond <laughs> Jeez, the things yeah. that you have to do in kind of the private aviation and i'm sure in commercial aviation there's a lot of stuff like this too but it happens more in kind of uh, fractional or just private aviation in general it's because you never know what's going to happen and they want to get to this one obscure airport and then when that plan fails it's like kind of when you're especially when you're the only one it's really just very chaotic and you got to try to figure out how to get the driver you have to try to figure out how to set up late ops you got to try to figure out customs like you said you got to maybe they have a lot of freight exactly. or a lot of even on the freight world you got to find a forklift like there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and private aviation whether it's 135 91 91k it's just like it's a hot mess. And a lot of times it's a controlled yeah. hot mess, but very, very often. And sometimes it is a very much uncontrolled chaos and just crazy. So I don't know if everyone really understands what goes through that process and how kind of complex it is. Yeah, it's it's very complex. There's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes just to finish and kind of make that one flight perfect, let alone making a hundred flights perfect, you know, to a thousand flights perfect, you know, in one day. Yeah. And what's crazy is that the person that you have in the back or your customer, your owner, whatever it may be, they expect everything to work seamlessly. They expect to to get their their limo to drop them off at the plane, you to take off within 10 to 15 minutes, have no delays with ATC, to land at the airport they're requesting to have the driver there and to go off to their hotel instantly. No waiting, no whatsoever. So to give them that same experience is very tough in those situations. And a lot of times it does work out, but it's, it's going to be a heart pumping couple hours trying to figure all that out. 
Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It only only takes one detail and it could throw the whole flight off. It's yeah, absolutely. So what made you want to leave Delta Private Jet? Sound like you had a pretty good job that you liked. Was it the hours you were working? Was it because I'm guessing Delta Private Jets, there's probably ways for you to move up inside the system. So what was the what was the reason for leaving to go work ramp at Washington Dulles? Yeah, so uh, there's definitely a lot of room for growth, and the people there were fantastic. I mean, I still talk to them today, and and they're, it's a really, really fun place. Um, I left because dispatching, although it's great, that's not what I went to college for. Right. So, you know, the main thing was doing air traffic control, um, and this was kind of a close second uh, to air traffic control. And now it's it's kind of my number one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, kind of off tangent, obviously, I, I went to school for air traffic control. But why am I am, am I pursuing that? Am I am I trying to get hired by the FAA? Sadly, no. OK. Why is that? Um, a, a, a number of different things. Um, I don't know if you kind of kept up uh, a, a few years ago when the hiring process kind of all got uh, pretty corrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a number of individuals um, that uh, basically wanted to hire these groups of people to controllers based on diversity and not based on um, kind of, you know, their assets, their accolades and stuff gotcha. like that. Um, you know, you had the whole biographical questionnaire, um, which pretty much, Flip the whole process around, and it wasn't really tested uh, before they put it out live, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of thrown together, in my opinion, haphazardly. Yeah. Um, and then to top it off, uh, you really don't get to pick where you go. No, so you have no you, choice. You have, you, you, have, you have you have no idea, and yeah. you don't find out until you finish training at the academy. So you're hustling, hustling, hustling. You get through the academy and. You know, it's all based on how well you do at the academy. So yeah. if you're at the top of the class of eight, then you get the top pick on the list. But, but the top you know, pick might not even be a good spot. Like you don't know what what slots will be available too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, they could have a class and all the slots are for, you know, and no offense to NorCal, but you know, <laughs> it could be for it could be for NorCal. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God, <laughs> that's my first facility. And <laughs> like and based on where you pick too, doesn't that depend on how much you get paid? Because I'm sure like the busier airspaces from when I, aren't they split up in levels? Like you have the level one, level two, level three, level four, level five pay. And is that based on the facility you're working at? Do you know, or is that just kind of your age and experience? Yeah. So it's, it's based on uh, complexity and volume. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, um, Dulles is a level nine okay. airport. Um, while Cleveland center is a level 12 facility. Mm-hmm. So, Um, Obviously, the end route structure is way more complex from a terminal facility. Um, And to to kind of backtrack on top of not being able to pick where you go, you may not be able to pick end route or or terminal. So if you don't like working the center environment and they tell you, hey, here's your center class date, you know, you may not be able to say no. And if you do say if you do say no, that may be the last time you ever get you know, hired or accepted by Man. the FAA. Um, Just a little bit of pressure, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's all based on complexity and volume. There's different levels. Um, I want to say the lowest is a five mm-hmm. and the highest is a 12. Um, so based on that and um, also kind of where you go, 
cost of living, there's some locality percentage that's factored into that, um, you know, determines your pay. Uh, I have a friend at the center right now, and basically every time he learns kind of one of the different positions, uh, he gets a pay bump. So, oh. you know, obviously you start out, you know, we'll, we'll say, you know, we'll start, you know, in a terminal environment, you learn, you know, ground control, and then you learn clearance delivery, and then you learn, you know, tower or local. And every time you learn one of those positions, you get a pay hike. Oh, cool. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. What, so, um, so I guess one question about that is, and obviously you're not in that kind of process. You might not know that, but say you get to a center, but you really want to work a tower. Are you able to switch? Is it easy to switch? Do you know, or is it one thing like, all right, you're put in the center. This is where you're going to be forever. So you are able to switch, um, but it's not very easy. Um, so like, for example, I have friends at Washington Center that, that want to go to a terminal environment. They love the terminal environment, but, you know, they're dealing with the center because, uh, you know, that's what they got. So basically, you'd have to find another facility that has openings. Yeah. Um, and then they would have to basically accept you to move. Okay. And once you do move, that training process starts all over again. Oh, no. Back. You go back to the academy, you learn the terminal environment, go through terminal school. Oh, wow. Then you go back to the facility, train at that facility, learn clearance delivery, ground, local, flight data, whatever, until you're fully certified CPC, certified professional controller. And then only after that are you making your your full pay grade at that specific facility. Wow. So it's kind of a, it's not necessarily beneficial unless you really, really hate what you're doing. Well, not necessarily hate what you're doing. Yes. But, um, you know, uh, you know, sometimes the area that, that you live in, you know, like yeah. the DC area is very expensive. Maybe you, you know, want to change a pace. You'd like to live out, you know, out West or something like that. Yeah. You like what you do in the terminal environment, but you're just tired of the, tired of the city, or, right. you know, tired of, tired of the crazy traffic or, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's just like, I looked at that, um, and it was just like, well, by the time I, you know, do all of this, go to a facility they actually like working to, you know, it's like, where, where, where's the time to, to, to have a life, to meet somebody, to, you know, to, to start a family. It's like, I'm going to be like 50 by the time, right. I, out, I, know, by for the real. time I get out to a facility that I actually like. It's like, I'm tired of moving. <laughs> <laughs> I've already, I've already moved three yeah. times in the past two years. It's like, mm, I, I, I'm. I'm done. Welcome to the <laughs> glorious life of an aviation person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you made the choice to, to not go FAA and you left Delta private jets for Dulles. And, um, what was the training process for the ramp? What was all that about? Uh, the training process was pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me about five months. Um, and it's, it's similar to, you know, kind of other facilities training, you know, FAA facilities, um, you know, there's book work and, and, you know, you got to memorize a lot of stuff, you know, know your airport inside out, upside down and backwards. And, um, you know, it's a lot of on the job, you're plugged in and you got a trainer tethered to you. That's also plugged in. And, you know, if you make a mistake, he's right there to key up, you know, that second to, to fix it. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty intense, uh, similar to kind of like what we were talking about. There's several different positions in our facility, and you have to learn each of the different positions. Okay. So there's uh, four positions in our facility. Um, 
you know, so about took me about two months for my first position, um, you know, basically not having much experience other than college and our simulators. Um, but then from there, it kind of kind of kicked off. What's the differences in the the positions? Like, is the first like are you, is the first one you're kind of released for duty, but you're still being monitored, or is it more you have different jobs and you have different responsibilities? Um, so some of them are different jobs and responsibilities. Others are the same responsibilities, but just a different part of the airport. Okay. So the airport's divided up into basically three ramp control positions. Okay. There's, there's a north side, there's kind of a middle area, and then there's a south area ramp, I think is what the chart actually says, even though we're called ramp control. <laughs> um, so obviously, um, one person will take the north side, another person will take kind of that middle chunk, and another person will take that southern chunk of the airport. And on occasion, um, you know, when it's when it's busy, we actually have a smaller second tower that's staffed with a person to work that southern portion of the airport. Okay. Um, uh, the fourth position, which is very unique, especially to our airport, is what's called the mobile lounge dispatch position. So one unique thing at Dulles Airport is we do have the people movers, the mobile lounges, <laughs> uh, yes. moon rovers, whatever you want to call it. They look they look very, very odd, but um, they play an extremely vital role to the airport. Yeah, they do. So with that position, we're basically taking data from the airlines, uh, passenger counts, and we're dispatching appropriate mobile lounges out to different parts of the airport to pick up those international customers to take them to the customs building. Okay. Are those rovers, are they still operated by an actual human? Cause I've, I've been told, I don't know how true this is that they are. A lot of them can be operated remotely. Is that true? <laughs> that is not true. Yeah. I don't know who told me that. <laughs> that's, 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 that's so funny to hear that though. Yeah. Um, Kind of like the last podcast I did. Some people, they, they, they called them mobile cafes. And, mm-hmm. and that was ages ago, back in the 60s when yeah. they first started. You know, But no, uh, they are operated by an individual person. And we talk to them specifically. So, uh, for example, there's a certain route that we send the lounges on. And they have to cross the active taxi lane in order to get to the spot on the airport to pick up customers. Yeah. And they're all named after states. Oh, wow. So you're getting a call, you know, you're, you're taxiing airplanes and all of a sudden you get a call, lounge Florida, East Road to X-Ray, you know, and I know that they're trying to get across and, you know, I'm evaluating, you know, time and distance between other airplanes and, you know, the feasibility of it. And I'm clearing them directly across and working them into my traffic. Have you ever had a rogue lounge? One that just like didn't want to listen to you and just did whatever you wanted to do? <laughs> uh, I mean, we've, I haven't had a rogue lounge. Yeah, yeah we, we've, we've had lounges. I mean, people make mistakes. Yeah. You know, we've had, we've had stuff like that happen. <laughs> nothing, nothing really serious. That's nothing, good. you know, uh, at least since I've been there. Every once in a while, you're like, uh, Lounge Florida, where are you going there, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. What's so. your plan? You see that 747? You might want to go the other way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. so but they continuously monitor our frequencies that's good so, so they're just like we work them just like an airplane yeah we really do it's funny because i i've landed at dulles before and we kind of i don't know if we've talked about this before we started the podcast but we'll land all the way in the east side and then take off we got to go to runway three zero and it can be yeah. a little bit of a taxi and we got to cut through ramp 
And when you're kind of going through, like sometimes it just looks like it's like a free for all. Like you got the luggage carts, you got this, you got that, you got this. And it's just like, <laughs> it's like, what is going on? And you, it almost feels like they're like playing chicken with you. Like they're trying to race you to it, but it's, it's nice to know that it's all kind of controlled and operated by someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nerve wracking, man. I mean, there's, there's several times where I've had tugs that, you know, weren't looking and they mm-hmm. got, they got a little too close where, yeah. you know, we, I had to call, you know, my airport operations team to be like, Hey, <laughs> this dude just cut off an airplane and he had to slam on his brakes because of it. Yeah. So, he almost got hit by an airplane, which not, yeah. would not have ended well for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah. it is nerve wracking and bet. depending on the time of the day, it can be pretty crazy. Yeah. So. No, Dulles gets busy. And especially if you had some weather into the mix and I'm sure that they can block people up and you got people waiting for gates and it could just be a hot, oh, yeah. hot mess. Oh yeah. Speaking of stories, do you have any good stories about like a specific day where the weather was just crapped out or maybe like a a certain airline came in and really screwed everything up for you? Uh, I mean, I have a couple stories I'll try. Uh, There's one story in particular, not really weather related, but something happened in the, in the terminal that was bad enough that someone had to get life flighted out. Oh yikes. Well, obviously I'm only working fixed wing. You know, yeah. I don't really talk, don't really talk to helicopters. They kind of just, they don't need really need a runway and they just take off and, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know, landing at your own risk or, you know, whatever the, the tower, tower controller is saying, local controller. Yeah. They do um, their own thing. But, but yeah. And so they had to send a life flight helicopter in. Well, <laughs> it creates an interesting dynamic because this helicopter is now landing on my ramp in the middle of the taxiway. <laughs> and it just so happened to be near one of our, uh, mobile lounge docks um where the the mobile lounge shuttles kind of take people across the airport yeah so coordinating that was really interesting and just kind of seeing a helicopter land you know kind of come over the top of the tower and then just land down in the middle of the taxiway is is kind of bizarre (laughs) yeah i would like to be a fly on the wall in that all of a sudden tower calls you like hey we got a helicopter landing your ramp you're like wait okay cool and then you're like wait what a helicopter landing my ramp and you like look through all these notebooks trying to find a procedure it's like we don't have a procedure for a helicopter landing on the ramp (laughs) exactly exactly so so it's just like hey man your control you just let me know when he needs to take off again and i'll make sure stuff's out of the way that's funny exactly we'll get this 380 out of the way 747 it's like whatever man we got it <laughs> yeah yeah what are your uh what are some i don't know the worst but like what is the most complicated kind of issue that you can run into like traffic jams log jams like what is a way for a ramp to get clogged up pretty fast uh the worst way which is soon fast approaching is the de-ice season hey yo so don't bring up so, those words come on man I, I know i know i won't say the s word <laughs> please don't but, um, <laughs> but um our other ramp tower our smaller tower on the south side yeah united's uh express ice pad is connected to our taxiway okay or, ta- or i should say taxi lane um so we actually have to funnel all the flights mainline and express through that south area hmm. because they've decided that that's the easiest way to kind of funnel everything. Basically, that big uh, hold block in 30, runway 30, you know, the mm-hmm. giant concrete area, yeah. that turns into a mainline de-ice pad. Okay. So everything that's on the midfield goes out the east side and takes that nice long taxi route that you guys have to do when uh, you have to go to 30. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, <laughs> there's, 
there's one controller that is coordinating and talking to all of those airplanes. Oh, geez. So on occasion, I'll have upwards of 25 airplanes all on my frequency all at the same time. And to top it off, we don't have flight strips. Oh, wow. I'm literally using a clipboard and a paper form, and that's how I'm tracking everything with my own symbology and a pen and paper. I was going to say, I was going to ask, I was going to ask two questions. I was going to ask where, like you said, you're in, in a tower. Are you guys connected to the main tower? Do you have your own tower? And then I was also going to ask, what kind of equipment do you guys have? And you kind of answered that a little bit, but I just imagine you guys had some like on-ground radar with a big screen where you can track everyone and you can like physically see what's going on. Or is it actually where you like, it is actually you looking out a window, making sure that the Emirates 380 pays attention and the exec jet or Delta private jets doesn't do anything stupid. Oh yeah. It's, it's us looking out the window. Mind you, we do have some, uh, some technology that helps, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's non-controlling, you know, it's, it's just more of situational awareness. So it helps, but it's not something that I can physically use to control an airplane. Okay. It's 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 not a, a, a approved system per se, um, or in the process of of getting a new system. Nice. Um, but in the meantime, it's all pen and paper. Um, so you know when you guys call and you're like, "Hey, ExecJet one twenty three, we're short of Alpha." It's like, okay, are you short of Alpha on Juliet? Short mm-hmm. of Alpha on Zulu? Because you know different parts of those buildings over there. Yeah. You know, sig- signatures buildings. From my angle, sometimes depending on the aircraft, like especially if it's like a Phenom or an Eclipse jet, you guys hide right underneath that building. I can't even see you <laughs> looking funny. out the window. So, you know, if you guys just say short of alpha, it's like, uh, well, you're on the east side or you're on the west side. <laughs> and I I need to confirm that. Yeah. Um, so That's it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, the tower itself so one of the towers is located on the Alpha Bravo concourse. Mm-hmm. Um, the other tower is located on the Charlie Delta concourse. You have the old FAA tower at the main terminal, and then you have the FAA tower all the way out kind of south of the south ramp. So there's four towers all across the terminals. And we're kind of the one that's in the middle area. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What is so every time I fly and we land on what is it one right I think and there's a tower connected to like a museum is that a real tower or is that just part of the museum? So that is the Udvar Hazy Museum okay. and that's a tower that's just for the museum. You can All actually right. go up inside of it. Um, you should if you have some time. There's a free shuttle from the main terminal that'll take oh, cool. you to the museum. So, but yeah, it's just a it's just a glass tower and uh, you know they have kind of like a little air traffic exhibit in there. Yeah, so that's cool. Do you yeah. ever get to work the the secret airlines that are out of there that have you know like the huge unmarked air, airplanes out there? Are they uh, do you get to work those quite often? Uh, I'm I'm not sure what you're talking about. Oh well, every time we taxi, there's always, oh I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, every yeah, time I, yeah. I I taxi by those, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> there's so many yep. planes. <laughs> I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, what, I don't know what I'm talking about either. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. no, I mean we 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 do get to to work you know like the 380 and stuff like that we've had mm-hmm. we've had military airplanes come in like you know some f-18s and stuff like that we had um i think they were f-18s we had like a flight of four that came in the one day of course five o'clock departure bank busiest time of the day yeah and why not the yeah. tower the tower calls over on our shout line hey do you guys have uhf capability and i'm just sitting there like laughing like yeah we sure <laughs> sure we we got uhf it's like we don't have UHF capability. <laughs> well, that po- that poses a problem. 
because they do not have VHF capabilities. So I literally have to give them control of my taxi lane and make sure it's clear all the way across so that they can take these military guys across because they can't communicate on VHF and we're all VHF. Yeah. That's got to love the military, right? Yeah. That's funny. So it happens on occasion. Uh, we just had the Red Arrows. We had mm-hmm. three of them come into the museum, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was um, cool. We, I didn't get to talk to them, but uh, it was kind of neat seeing them come in and land. Um, and they did uh, a flyover at the Nationals game, the baseball game. Oh, over cool. DC, so that was kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. What, uh, yeah, we go there quite a bit. We always uh, we love landing on one right and just or 19 left and just going to the to signature and then the next time we leave, we wait for the long taxi three zero, but it, it feels like it, it works really well. And obviously it's a, it's a well thought out system and it's crazy to know that you guys use pen and paper and you don't have strips, you don't have anything and you're probably up there with binoculars or just look and see. So that's, that's crazy to yeah, know. And exactly. I, I mean, it's good to know because obviously pilots can be very irrational sometimes and they don't like to wait and they think they're the most important all the time. <laughs> so it's really, I mean, seriously though, it's like good yeah, to know yeah, that like no, it is. there's a reason sometimes there's a delay or to know that like, Hey, they're still working in like the 1970s. All right. They still got a clipboard. So <laughs> give them a couple <laughs> minutes and stuff like that. So it's good to know because I mean, I don't, I don't really remember anything at, at Dulles per se, but at some airports where it might be radar controlled everywhere or you're talking to ground or something like that. It's, to give them some time because they got a lot of traffic to deal with. Yeah, and and we do our best. I mean, if if there's a delay or if there's something like that where where they're going to have to sit, I make it very conversational. After you know, obviously there's a point where you're serious and you're giving the clear cut, you know, word by word instructions. Yeah. But then there's times where it's like, hey, you got to hold short of Alpha Four. It's going to be a few minutes. I've got you know this airplane that's got to push up into the taxiway because of the construction project. So just give me a few minutes. I'll keep you moving, you know? And when you make it really conversational like that, I think a lot of pilots appreciate it and they kind of get the picture. They know what's going on, you know, because from, from your angle, it's probably pretty hard to see, you know, how many airplanes am I working on, on the ramp surface? You know, if it's, you know, busy Oh yeah, and, and also kind of which direction, you know, that's kind of the other complexity is when we get into the busy banks, we're sending guys out both sides of the ramp, east and west. So, you know, one guy might push east, the second guy might push west, another guy might push east. So it's like it's like a big Tetris problem. Yeah, we and don't see a big picture. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, you're funneling guys up and down over the crossovers. And and so, you know, I try and keep it conversational and professional to let everybody know like hey this is what's going on like this is this is the picture that i'm seeing like it's just going to be a minute yeah no that's good and that's helpful because i mean obviously there's times where you probably can't do that and when you're really busy and it's harder to do but pilots are selfish we just worry about what we're doing by the time we're waiting on ramp we want to hurry up and take off so we can sit down and eat our crew food and sit down for four (laughs) hours so i mean like we (laughs) we're selfish for no reason but it's just a pilot thing so i mean it's just (laughs) i'm sure you are well aware of all the different pilot personalities by working where you do so you know that it's some people are better than others (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah exactly and and that's kind of a good reason why i got my pilot certificate is to you know even though i'm barking out orders you know i have a rough understanding of what you guys are feeling like in in, on the other side of that that radio transmission have you recognized any voices of like repeat offenders of like can you recognize the voice be like oh this guy's gonna be a problem or is oh yes oh (laughs) yes that's hilarious trust me i i 
there's there's regulars that come to the airport some of the airlines yeah. you know there's there's regulars and i know i know their voice as soon as they key up it's like so um on occasion when i work the south tower you're pretty much over there for majority of the day and it's mm-hmm. just you i mean you get you get some breaks in between but you're pretty much over there just by yourself the whole day yeah um so you know you work the first inbound and then the second inbound's coming and you hear the same voice and i always you know try and have a little bit of humor it's like hey welcome back (laughs) (laughs) so and and i'm sure they know me you know oh great it's great it's that controller again you know so (laughs) you guys are rolling your eyes like great here we go again (laughs) (laughs) exactly that's funny well cool man that's a it's really interesting to hear your side of uh the the ramp side and the aviation side and hear a different facet of how kind of aviation works and how everything at airports ties in together and for me personally i didn't know that there was a difference between faa controllers and ramp controllers so it was interesting to hear that and hear a little bit more uh, I have a rap- rapid fire section for you too, and then we can wrap up. But um, it's just okay. been great to have you on and hear more about that. I think that it's useful. And it's if someone, because flying is not for everyone, right? Like flying's great. Flying's yeah. a great career yeah. path. It is the most complex and very, very strange career to get into. So there's a lot of reasons for someone not to want to do it. And sometimes yeah. you realize you don't want to do it when you're an airline pilot. Like just because you become an airline pilot doesn't mean you're going to love it. I've talked to someone on, he actually works Washington Center and he was a regional airline pilot and he left to go work for Center. So, I mean, like things happen and you can go to different yeah. jobs. So it's great to know the options that you have and that there are other opportunities to keep you in aviation and around airplanes. So it's been great having you on. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And uh, so let's go ahead and get into the rapid fire section. And you've listened to the podcast before, so you're aware of the questions. And I I literally do not have anything written down. So it's whatever comes to my mind. (laughs) (laughs) So it might be like 30 questions. It might be five. So let's go ahead and see. All right, man. All right, cool. All right. What is your favorite airline? Delta. What's your least favorite airline? I'd have to say I haven't flown a bunch, but um, United. Do you have an airline that you you maybe like a least favorite airline to work with? Like one that consistently messes up more than others or one that you like roll your eyes a little bit more than others? Uh, I'm not going to comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I want to keep my job. (laughs) All right. There you go. I like it. All right. What is your favorite airplane to work? Uh, Or to see, to look at, whatever. uh, I love the Antonov AN-124. There you go. Would that be your favorite airplane in general too? No, 757-300, the okay. flying pencil. The flying pencil. It is very much a pencil and very powerful. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a least favorite airplane to work? Um, Probably anything that's slow. I, I Probably just the least favorite to work is probably, um, uh, probably the, I would say the, 380 okay because uh, it, it creates a lot of complexities on the ramp yeah it takes up a lot of space too yeah yeah what is your favorite airline livery oh man that's a tough one um right now i'd have to say um i'd have to say iceland air okay. they have they have a livery called hecla uh and it's like the aurora lights painted on a 757 oh, that's it cool. looks it looks awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. All right, you are commuting. You're flying for vacation. You're commuting. You're at an airport. You need to get some food. What's your go-to food to get? Uh, Chinese, for sure. You're the third person to say that. The last person I interviewed said Chinese. I don't think I've ever had Chinese food at an airport before. Detroit specifically, man. There's right. um, 
there's uh what the heck is it called pf changs oh wow. that fountain. Yeah. you know the fountain with, yeah i know uh, what you're talking about there's a pf changs there and when i used to non-rev with delta uh I'd, I'd go there all the time all right fair enough fair enough pf changs is respectable i just imagine someone going to like some like hole in the wall airport food sushi <laughs> place or something like that i'm no. like that does not sound like a great idea no 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 <laughs> All right. What is when you are personally flying? Would you rather fly long legs or short legs? Uh, short legs. Do you like mountain airports, beach airports, or kind of flatlands? Mountain. Would you rather fly sunset or sunrise? Uh, sunset. Would you rather? Obviously, you probably work pretty long shifts. And would you rather work the graveyard, the morning, or the afternoon? Uh, definitely the afternoon. It's okay. a lot busier and it's a lot faster pace. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. When you're flying, what is one thing you always have to have on your person while you're flying? Uh, my camera. I do a lot of photography on the side. Okay. If you could do it all over again, would you change anything about your kind of the path that you've taken? Or are you pretty happy with how it worked out? No, nah, I'm I'm very happy with with how it worked out. You know, it, there's there's no one one size fits all, and I'm just I'm I'm really happy for where I am right now. Good. If there is anyone in the aviation industry, let's do maybe you can do like a I don't know like a present day person in aviation. Is there anyone that you would like to meet most? I would love to meet um, Steve One Canevo. Okay. I'd love to meet him. He's, he seems like a really cool person. What about maybe like um, the past generation, maybe someone that kind of, I don't know, like a Charles Lindbergh or something like that. Is anyone in the past that you'd like to meet Orville and Wilbur Wright or anyone like that? Uh, can I say Bob Hoover? You can. Is that accept- yeah, Bob that's Hoover, definitely man. acceptable. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. I wish I wish I could have met him. He seems like a pretty cool dude or watch him do some of his stuff. It's like, dang. Dude. Yeah. How did yeah. you do a dual engine flame out and go land and taxi and park without ever touching the brakes and stop perfectly? It's like, what the heck? <laughs> and do and do a barrel roll while pouring a glass of water yeah. <laughs> without spilling. Yeah, it's pretty without impressive. spilling. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool, man. Those are all the ones I have for you right now. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was uh, a great time talking to you. And I kind of said a little bit earlier, it's really cool to hear every single different path that you can go down. So I think this will have a good, be received really well. And I, I look forward to releasing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited, man. I'm, I'm excited to see what people think about it. And uh, hopefully it, it, you know, some of the pilots listening, you know, will kind of get a better idea of, of what we do. And, you know, yeah. it's kind of a, a very different part of the industry that, uh, I didn't know about until very recently when I, you know, got hired on. And, uh, I don't think very many people really know about it. No, definitely not. I didn't know about it. So yeah, I don't think many people knew about it either. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> no problem. I hope you have a great day and, uh, I'll keep you updated on when this comes out. And that is a wrap of episode number 78. Aviation, thank you again for listening. Like I said earlier, got some new designs coming out, so stay tuned for that. And if you have any suggestions or if you are great at drawing airplanes, hit me up. We could always collaborate and work together. As always, if you know anyone that should be on the podcast, send me an email, pilotthepilothq at gmo.com. I am historically terrible at email. It is one thing that I'm trying to work on. I'm trying to reply as soon as I get them flying and podcasting and emails just do not go well together for me. I can, uh, I can only do one thing. I'm a typical guy. I can't multitask. I can't do so much at one time. So I'm trying to work better. You send me an email. I want to respond to it. So send me an email. If you think you're right for the podcast, or if you know someone that's right for the podcast, Aviation, thank you guys. Have a great day and happy flying.